Today's program is on the topic Why do bad things happen to good people? Hello again, my radio friends. Thank you for joining me today. It's my hope that things have gone well for you this past week, and if not, it is not because God doesn't love you. He does love you, and he loves you more than you can imagine. Today we're going to look at a topic which has been on many people's minds. Many of those same people ask the question, why Do bad things happen to good people? We could become very clinical in considering this topic, especially when it comes to defining what good means. Some might raise the incident when a rich young man came to Jesus one day and said, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, Why do you call me good? There is none good but God. And that's found in Luke chapter 18, verses 16 to 19. Coupled with that fact is what the Apostle Paul said, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's in Romans 3.23. Okay, given all that, we have to be aware of the fact that there are some really decent, nice people in our society today who do no one any harm, and it seems are always there to help others. Many of these people are Christians. Why is it that these people too suffer loss or disease and such things? We wouldn't mind it so much if some of the bad people had these bad things happen to them, but why the good people? Doesn't God promise to protect the people who commit their lives to him? Doesn't God care? Or is he too distant or too busy to take an interest in his people on planet Earth? There are a lot of such questions that point in the same direction. But before providing an answer, I want to give a case example. Just a short while ago, a friend of mine announced that he had just been diagnosed with a fairly large cancerous growth at the lower end of his bowel. This was a big surprise to him and his family and his friends. My friend is a really lovely man, positive, happy, friendly, helpful, and he is a faithful Christian. He truly is one of God's special people, yet now he has to deal with this insidious insidious growth that threatens to take his life. Why did God not step in and prevent the cancer from growing? The first thing I want you to know is that God does not want to inflict pain or suffering on anybody. It is not his nature. He only wants good to happen to people. It is said that God suffers with us. The answer to the question of why do good people have bad things happen to them is explained in the parable 
of the wheat and the tares, or the weeds, where Jesus said, An enemy has done this. We must face the fact in our lives that much of the badness that occurs around us and that which we experience personally is a result of the activities of our enemy, Satan. It is he who brought sin into the world. It is he who is in opposition to God. It is he who does not care about the welfare of human beings. It is he who is the root of all the troubles in the world. It is he who causes people to be greedish, a greedy, selfish and sinful. God does not cause the bad things. Satan does. But wait a moment, you might be thinking, why doesn't God step in and prevent the bad things from happening? It seems that sometimes God does perform miracles and sometimes not. How come? God says of himself, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And you can read that for yourself in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. Anyone would be forgiven for thinking that God is on a totally different wavelength than we human beings, and therefore is above what we have to go through. Yet, to put all this in perspective, we're told in the book of Hebrews where it talks about Jesus, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And that's from Hebrews 4.15. I read that text to you from the King James Version of the Bible, but I'd like to read it as well from the clear word, a paraphrase version. The text says, We don't have a high priest who doesn't understand us or who's incapable of feeling our pain. He was tempted more powerfully than any of us will ever be, yet he never sinned or lost his hold on God. God knows and God cares and God hurts when we are hurting. So how should we respond to all this? We know that God does sometimes step in and reverse some of the bad things that happen to people. But why are there many times that he seems to do nothing? The simple answer is that God has a grand plan. It is not a plan where band-aids will be used to patch up this or that problem. It is a plan where all the troubles that plague humanity now and in the past will be swept away. God has announced that plan in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 5 where he says, Behold, I make all things new. And then in the same chapter, the prophet John was instructed to write, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain 
for the old order of things is passed away. God's plan involves a new order of things where there will be no sin and no consequences of sin, no pain, no suffering, no anxiety, no hunger, no broken relationships, no disease, no courts, no police, no thieves, no, no doctors, no hospitals, and so on. This new order of things will be experienced by those who are faithful to God in this life. It'll be the experience of eternal life. It is something to look forward to. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you will make it your business to inherit eternal life too. Make it your priority. You may be wondering, how then should I react to troubles that I am experiencing or may yet have to experience? Jesus gave some good counsel, and we can read this in the book of Matthew chapter 6. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? And then, a little further on in the chapter, Jesus reiterated what he said earlier. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. This tells me plainly that God is totally aware of our needs. What should be our response to that? Jesus explained what we should do. He said, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If I understand what the Bible has to say on the subject of bad things happening to God's people, it seems very much that our primary priority in life should be to make sure we are right with God. Satisfying our physical needs should be of secondary importance. God's judgment about who will inherit eternal life has nothing to do with how well we are, how much pain we have endured, or how much we have been made to suffer. It is all to do with accepting the sacrifice of Jesus, who came down from heaven to save us from our sins, and by obeying and remaining true to God, that is what really counts. Yes, Sometimes bad things happen to people who seem undeserving of them. But God allows things to happen for his reasons, whether we, whether or not we understand them. Above all, we must remember that God is good, just, loving and merciful. Often things happen that we simply cannot understand. However, instead of doubting God's goodness, Our reaction should be to trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And that's found in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, and verses 5 and 6. We'll have a little break for a moment, and we'll come back to this afterwards. Welcome back. 
Just before the break, I read you this text from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And This tells us quite plainly that through the ups and downs of life, What we must do is trust in the Lord. But there are two other points that I'd like us to consider. The first is that troubles most often strengthen rather than weaken a person's character. Just as a tree that is subject to wind and adverse weather conditions will become sturdy and strong, so it is with people. A tree that has no adversities and grows in ideal conditions is usually not very deep-rooted and is generally tall and thin. If and when it is struck by a storm or drought, it is either blown over or dies. Our characters are better developed when we have to face troubles, even though those problems are not welcome. We then may be of better help to others who experience troubles that we have already experienced. A second point to consider is, what would happen if God fixed every little problem that his people encountered? Just think what other people who had not committed their lives to God would do. They'd think to themselves, oh, uh, we want to join this bunch of Christians because their God fixes up all their problems. They would then want to be part of the Christian group for the material and physical benefits and not because they committed their lives to God. I've heard of people groups like this. One I know about has been named the Cargo Cult. These people just sit around waiting for God to send them gifts. They regard God as some kind of sugar daddy. It seems of little importance to them that God wants them to honour and obey him. Does the Bible record incidents of what we would term good people who suffered personal disasters? Yes, there are quite a few. There's Joseph who, for no fault of his own, was sold by his own brothers and became a slave in a foreign country. He was falsely accused of attempted rape and was imprisoned. Yet God did not abandon him, and eventually, because of his faithfulness, he was promoted to a position of importance to the second highest ranking person next to the king. God used Joseph to save the nation of Egypt and also the Israelites. And then there's the record of Daniel, who lived at a much later time. He was a victim of war and was captured by the Babylonians and was, in reality, a refugee. Because he was a healthy, talented young man, he, along with a number of other promising young captives, was educated in Babylonian law and customs, with the goal in mind that they would eventually work in the service of the king. 
Daniel rose to prominence, and some of the Babylonian government officials became jealous of him and wanted him out of the way. They hatched up a plan to flatter the king by getting a law passed that no one should worship any god except the king for the period of one month. The king fell for the plan, and the law came into force. This plan was hatched up because Daniel was honest in all that he did and was well respected by the king. But Daniel worshipped the true God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, and Daniel was devoted and faithful. Because Daniel was not prepared to compromise on principle, he was put into a den filled with hungry lions, a method back in those times used to dispose of undesirable characters. God did not abandon Daniel and kept the lions from eating him. Daniel survived the experience and gave God the glory for that survival. Daniel was faithful to God and God honoured his faithfulness. Daniel went on to serve a number of kings under two dynasties. Then there's the record of Paul the Apostle. He writes in Second Corinthians that he was given what he describes as a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. We're not sure what that thorn in the flesh was, but some have concluded that Paul may have had very poor eyesight. Others suggest that he was quite short in stature, and still others say that Paul had a speech impediment. No doubt it was a constant worry to Paul, but he says in verses 8 and 9, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The Apostle Paul has been called the Apostle to the Gentiles, as he worked for many years bringing the good news of God's grace to foreigners. During that time, he was imprisoned several times. He was flogged and whipped five times with forty lashes. He was beaten with rods three times. Once he was stoned, and that's not stoned from alcohol or drugs. It means when people threw stones at him with the intention of killing him. He was shipwrecked and spent a day and a night fighting to stay alive in the open sea. And there is much more. This is recorded in Second Corinthians chapters uh, in verse 23 to 28. If bad things have happened to a good person, this has to be a prime example. Yet, during all that time, and through all those experiences, Paul remained faithful to God. He had plenty of reasons to become discouraged and give up, but he always looked to God for the strength to endure. Paul is a fine example of how we should act in unhappy or uncomfortable circumstances when bad things happen to us. The Apostle Paul wrote something which has encouraged many people 
who have suffered for their faith and allegiance to God. It's found in Romans 8.18. The Bible says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, despite what we have to go through in this life, it will be nothing compared to the joy, happiness and peace we will have when we are given eternal life. The classic example of bad things happening to good people however, is that of Job. His story is in the Bible in the Old Testament book of Job. Job was a good man. He was God-fearing and honoured God in all aspects of life. He was wealthy and had ten children, seven sons and three daughters. In today's terminology, he was a pastoralist and owned much livestock, including... 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 1,000 cattle and 500 donkeys. He had a large number of servants or employees and the Bible tells us that at the time he was the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. You can read this all for yourself in the book of Job. But to cut a long story short, Satan accused God of protecting Job and tried to infer that Job only worshipped and served God because of his protection. Satan said to God, You take away that protection and let me at him. Then you'll see whether Job will be faithful to you. God agreed, and Satan caused all sorts of trouble for Job. In the space of one day, A band of marauders killed many of his servants and stole his cattle and donkeys. While Job was digesting this news, a message came that his sheep were all destroyed by what is described as fire from the sky. Before Job could digest this news, another messenger came and told how another raiding party came and stole all his camels, killing many other of Job's servants in the process. And before Job had time to think about that, another messenger came with the sad news that a tornado had struck the house where all of Job's children were celebrating a wedding. The house was destroyed and all of Job's ten children had been killed. Talk about bad things happening to good people. And all this happened in the space of one day. And then, To cap it all off a bit later, Job became covered all over, even on the soles of his feet, with painful, suppurating boils. That would be enough to tip most people over the edge. Then Job's wife started to nag him. Her advice was to curse God and die. So what did Job do? Against the advice of his wife and friends, Job uttered this time-honoured statement, Though he, that's God, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. And that's found in Job chapter 13 verse 15. The story doesn't end there. God rewarded Job's faithfulness. 
At the end of the book of Job it says this, that's chapter 42 and verse 12, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had twice as many livestock and had seven more sons and three very beautiful daughters. And Job lived a long time and even saw his great-great-grandchildren. Such was the reward for Job's faithfulness. The story doesn't end with pain and suffering, such as what we may experience. God has something much better planned for those who are faithful to him. It is something that far surpasses even our wildest dreams. You may wonder why God has allowed certain bad things to happen to you and why he hasn't stepped in and fixed up the problem. Don't worry too much about that. God hasn't forgotten you. He loves you and wants to give you the best gifts, gifts that will last forever. All that is required of you is that you remain faithful to him. I've told you before that is that it is my intention to honour God and to be faithful to him. I want to spend eternity with him. He who has loved me so much that he gave his own life for me. So what about you? Will you be faithful, even though you may experience troubles in your life? When we get to heaven, I expect to be there looking for you, and then we can praise our good God together. Well, that's it for today. Next week, I'd like to share with you a true story from recent times of someone who had bad things happen to him because he chose to be faithful to God. In the meantime, this is Len wishing you courage, hope and peace. And I look forward to your company next week.